speaking, it was done. Welcome to sermons from St. Paul's Lutheran Church of Minot, North Dakota. St. Paul's is anchored in the message of Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins, for the church and for the world. The following sermon is from Reverend Dr. Matthew Richard. Gospel according to St. John, the first chapter. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. This is the Gospel of the Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. When I was a child, I was given a Precious Moments Bible. Yes, a Precious Moments Bible. It was the King James translation, if I can recall. But it had Precious Moments drawings scattered throughout the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. Now, if you are unfamiliar with the Precious Moments brand, they're actually collectibles, porcelain figures with enormous eyes and angelic expressions. For the Precious Moments Bible, though, all the illustrations throughout the Bible, they captured the same porcelain figurines drawn in the scriptures. In other words, the biblical characters in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the angels, the prophets, the people of the New Testament, the disciples, and so forth, they all had huge eyes, big smiles, and virtuous expressions throughout. Now, please understand me clearly. It is important to be sympathetic to the little ones of the church. Indeed, it is important to be sympathetic to the little ones of the church. There's much in the Bible that would be too much for little ones to handle in their early years. And the reason why? Well, if you were to take the Bible itself and give it an MPAA movie rating, we would indeed soon realize that the Bible is not rated G. It's not even rated PG. Or it certainly would not be rated PG-13. But the Bible, it's rated R. To the point, though, while we must always be sensitive to little ears and little eyes in the church itself, the ones in our midst, we must not give way of the mistake of seeing the Bible as a nice little book for nice people about nice folks who said and did nice things where everything leads to a nice and happy ending. 
Take, for example, the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, if you will. It is likely that most people, when they consider the book of Genesis, they often have a precious moments image in their minds when they think about Genesis chapter 1 and following. When they think of Adam and Eve. When they think of Adam and Eve in the garden, maybe frolicking in the Garden of Eden, having a jolly good old time. And then when they think of Noah, they think of Noah gathering cute little animals on the ark, putting them on that great ark as they all waved from the ark as they went on a Caribbean cruise. Or perhaps we think of Abraham and Sarah having a baby in their old age and Joseph wearing a coat of many colors. It's all nice. It's all good. But frankly, here's what the Bible really says. In Genesis 1, we hear about in the beginning a man and woman. Genesis 1 and 3, actually specifically chapter 3, in the beginning a man and woman stand naked and ashamed, blaming each other for what they did wrong. As we fast forward to Genesis chapter 4, an angry and envious man lures his brother into a field and brutally murders him and then tries to cover it up. And then later on, a couple more chapters later, the world becomes so corrupt and violent that God decides to virtually wipe out all humanity and start things all over again. And then we continue through the book of Genesis. Noah, he gets drunk, and one of his sons dishonors him by committing an immoral act in his bedroom. And then we get to Abraham. Twice, Abraham, he tries to pass off his wife to another man to save his own skin. Later, his son Isaac does the same thing. And we can forget Abraham, he sleeps with one of his household servants so that he can have an heir. Get this, it was his wife's idea. But then she becomes so jealous that she kicks out this woman and her son out of the house to live in poverty and shame. And then we come to Lot. Lot offers a violent mob his daughters to do what they want. And later on, those daughters, they get their father drunk and commit an immoral act with him so they can have children themselves. And then we get to Jacob, Isaac, and so forth. Jacob, Isaac's son, is a deceitful mama's boy who tricks his father out of, out of a family legal right. He has to run away from home so that he isn't murdered himself. And he keeps on going. Jacob's wives, they live in constant jealousy and competition, continually tricking each other and Jacob himself to get to the very top of supremacy in the family. And then we get to Judah. Judah refuses to find a husband for his widowed daughter-in-law, so she disguises herself as a lady of the night and tricks her father-in-law into an immoral act and becomes pregnant. It just goes on and on and on. Now, you may be saying to yourself, okay, well, we get this, Pastor, but what does this have to do with Advent 4, the fourth Sunday in Advent? Well, my friends, every year during the season of Advent, we actually encounter old man John the Baptist. Yes, we encounter the crazy old man, John the Baptist. And as we encounter John the Baptist, let's just be frank, let's just be honest, there's just no way to depict John as a precious moments figurine. It doesn't work. It doesn't have. You can't make John the Baptist into a precious moments figurine. John, he has wild hair. He has a stern glare, weird clothing, he eats grasshoppers, and he shouts out jarring messages of repentance. It just doesn't work. And so John has a way of jarring us out of the holiday buzz. John has a way of bringing the North American church back to reality. He takes us out of the nostalgic, 
and sometimes superficial Christmas spirit, and he sobers us up real quickly indeed. John, he has a way of coming in and smashing our porcelain view of life. You see, I'm afraid that much of North American Christianity views Christmas as a mythological story. Indeed, much of North America views Christmas as a mythological story. It is easy to shift the story of the birth of Jesus, along with all the angels, with the shepherds, the wise men, the realm of all of this, into the fictitious category, to a fictitious story rooted in nostalgic holiday feelings. We can think of it as a precious moment's way. Indeed, we can think of Christmas in a precious moment's way. However, when John the Baptist comes along, well, he dislodges us from this temptation. He actually comes along, he pokes our big eyes, he wipes the big smiles off of our faces, and he rattles our virtuous expressions. Furthermore, it's really important this morning for us to understand that John the Baptist was not out in the wilderness, perhaps baptizing just a couple people, half a dozen people at the most. It wasn't as if John the Baptist gathered a bunch of family and friends who felt sorry for him to come out to the Jordan River to watch him play and splash in the water of the Jordan. You know how family members often do this. They go to perhaps a recital of a loved one just to support them, even though they don't want to be there. But my friends, this is not how it was with John the Baptist. The ministry of John the Baptist was no small potatoes. Indeed, it was not an insignificant event. But rather, get this, John was out in the wilderness by that Jordan. He was baptizing thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people in the wilderness at the Jordan River. It was such an event that it drew out people from Jerusalem to go and see what was happening, to report back to the religious elite of Jerusalem. His message was shouted out for all to hear. John's message of repentance brought people to the reality of their sin and into the dirty waters of the Jordan River for a real baptism so that they would be ready for a real Savior, that real Savior who would really die and rise for the real forgiveness of sins for the entire human race. And so what this means, what this means is that John's message is just as important for you and me to hear right now in this sanctuary, at this time and at this place, just as important for us to hear as it was for those in the past. We especially need the voice of John the Baptist during the season of Advent to break through the Christmas glitter, to pierce through the holiday glimmer, to warn us not to be a shaken reed, to drive us to repentance of our sins, and get this to prepare our hearts and our minds for the real Savior who was really born in Bethlehem and would really bleed and really die to accomplish salvation for the real sins that we commit. And perhaps we could just leave it at that this morning. Today is about hearing the voice. Today is about hearing the voice in the wilderness calling loudly, urgently, when with a bit of agitation that all mankind should make straight and level the way of the Lord. You see, Jesus was about to start his ministry in our gospel reading to come to Israel, and the people were about to be prepared to receive the Messiah with sincere repentance. You see, salvation was right before them, in flesh and blood, in the person and the work of Jesus, and the same is true for you and me 
this Advent here at St. Paul's. Now, dear friends, listen carefully. The Son of God came to earth and put on human flesh so that he could really walk in your shoes. The birth of Jesus, in other words, is not some theological fiction. The birth of Jesus itself is not some sort of myth. It is not some sort of precious moments event. God put on real flesh, he put on real blood, and was born of a real woman in a real stinky cave with real stinky animals and laid in a real dirty manger to accomplish real salvation for real sinners like you and me. In other words, Christmas is not merely a commendation of the birth of Jesus, some big party with glitter and lights, but it is the recognition that the Lord God was not, get this, he was not content to leave you and me in the darkness of our sins under condemnation forever. He was not content to leave us. And so today, we hear the message of John the Baptist yet again. We hear it loud and clear. John says, I am thunder in the desert crying out to you. Make the road straight for God. Get ready for the coming of the Lord. Repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so baptized saints, we repent. We beat our chest. We confess our sins. And we return to our baptisms. We return to our baptisms in repentance so that you and I are ready for the news of Christmas this week. A real story that takes you from the manger to the cross, and from the manger to the cross, from the cross to the empty tomb, and from the empty tomb to your salvation, eternal life. Indeed, if you wish to hear the message of Christmas later this week, repent. For this is the role of John the Baptist this Advent season. John's message comes to you from the Word. His message comes to you from the wilderness. It comes to you from this pulpit so that you are prepared for Bethlehem, the stable, the manger, the Son of God who put on real flesh and was really born for you and for me. In the name of the real Jesus. Thank you for listening to today's podcast sermon. You can access a full manuscript of today's sermon from Pastor Matthew Richard's blog at www.pastormatrichard.org or visit St. Paul's website at www.stpaulsminot.org. The Lord bless and keep you. you.